hello and welcome to this episode of Battling Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. In this podcast, we're hoping to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. Now, today, I'm very pleased uh, that we have a guest with us, and we frequently talk about both the importance of communication and also the, the, the importance of thinking differently about what you do. So today we have an extremely interesting guest who has perhaps a slightly different background than you might expect. So Gareth, perhaps you'd like to introduce our guest for us today. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. So we're very fortunate to have Natalia Kalkowska, who is the founder and CEO of in a really, really fast time as well. So we had, you know, 15, 20 minutes to talk about whatever we were talking about. And by the end of that 20 minutes, getting flashed up on the screen behind us was this animation or illustration of what we'd covered. Uh, and I was blown away by that. And I had to go and talk to, to Natalia. Um, and we got chatting and we've been chatting ever since. And we've convinced her today to come and talk to us about what she does as well as creating these amazing illustrations, her company does a whole load of stuff around creativity and um, around illustration with telling stories and communicating. So before I try and badly describe that, I'm just going to hand over. So welcome, Natalia. Great to have Thank you with you us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited. Brilliant. Tell us more about uh, what Natalka Design does beyond my terrible description of your very impressive scribbling. That was very good. Thanks so much, Gareth. That was better than I usually do. These days, because it always changes depending on what people think we are, we call ourselves strategic uh, communications company, consultancy, you name it. But basically what we do is we come between the kind of high stakes moments in the business behind the scenes and help clients articulate those big messages, whether that's a big problem or a big opportunity in a more human engaging way. Now that could come through illustration, animation, VR experience, projection, you name it. We will make that happen if we can and if we have enough connections to do so. But the main thing that we're really focusing on many years now is strategy in terms of discovering what's the big core problem here what are we actually trying to achieve forget the outcome we always promise it will be beautiful because we just know it will the main thing is the question and often we figured out together with the clients that that wasn't the question that we were supposed to ask we were supposed to ask a different question so that's where we sit in between those layers and we just add that wow effect on top of it to get that buy-in and get that put through the door as they say so natalia we we've um, for those people who listen to the podcast before we talk in so much detail about you should have a strategy, it should be all these great things. One of the things that we often feel guilty about is, so how do you do that in real life? And what, what I think you've just articulated really well is 
there's this process by which you, for want of a better word, uncover someone's real strategy, whether it's the one they thought they had another. Perhaps you can talk about how do you actually go about that? I mean, what does that look like? You sit in a room, perhaps you're in front of a whiteboard. How do you go about discovering what the strategy really is? Questions, but good questions. So we often are told at the end of each call or a session, huh, you guys asked really good questions. And to me, that was always like, as if everyone probably does it. And it turns out it's not that easy to ask good questions. Questions that are not leading, questions that are open, questions that are allowed to think, questions that are allowed to question, if I may go down deep inception vibes. And that's kind of where it's at. And it, as, you're, as you're saying, it could be a whiteboard session, it could be a famous Zoom call that we all do a lot of these days, which helps a lot because we can do it globally at any time. Um, but it really starts from conversation. We either look at the strategy that the client already has, or we uncover this thing together. And, and I mean, do, do you have sort of a template? I guess the first statement that says we get them to present their strategy to us, you know, that's going to be very from company to company. But if I turn around and said, you know what, we don't really have a strategy. We do things, we make things, we sell things. What, where would you perhaps start? Any thoughts on what's that first question that starts to get that, that creativity going and start to uncover things? I guess any strategy, as far as we're concerned, when we talk to clients either end of the year or beginning of the year, because that's the kind of uh, heartbeat of a business as, as we see it, is to see where they're at now and where do they want to be next? And what is the next when? What sort of steps do we need to take in between to get to the next? What sort of challenges are we going to face or we predict or not? What is holding us back? And that can be here mentally and that can be physically or financially or team wise or silos or all those things that every business deals with. And it, again, it's just starting with questions and letting them talk. My job is to talk really little. My job is to listen and follow them with that visual interpretation of what they say. And something magical happens when we have that kind of instant visual feedback where, first of all, we're, we don't exist in the room. That's the magical bit where suddenly Natalia and the team don't exist. They just focus on what they see and it helps them to articulate further down. And it brings everyone magically together because I always do this trick of, if I asked you guys now to think about an elephant, Please actually think about an elephant for a second. Everyone that listens, I would like to. I'm sure by now you have some sort of idea of your elephant based on your background, where you've traveled, what you've seen, the media that you were exposed to, the book that your mom read you, whatever it is, you have an idea of an elephant. Now, if I were to show all of your elephants now on Zoom, they probably will be different. The game of bringing everyone together is by putting that one thing on the wall that has some sort of visual effect on us that we can relate to is we are, we all think about different elephants, but once we draw it, at least we know we're looking at that elephant and we can nod and we can, we can say yes or no to, no, that's not what I said. Yes. That's what I meant. No, I meant more on the right. I actually think there should be four more things, whatever it is. So the magic of that kind of conversation plus added layer of that visual interpretation gets us there in a much more collective 
understandable way. Therefore, so, the actions can be taken much faster and better. So is it is it fair to say, and, and uh, I, I, if you've got some examples that are on YouTube or anything like that of work you've done, you should share. There's one which, and I feel bad about doing this, but it's just, it had such a huge impact on me. If, uh, I don't know whether any of you guys have seen the surprising truth about what motivates people. There's a, a YouTube video that's been out for a number of years. It was RSA Animate that did it. It was a Daniel Pink talk. But if you Google RSA Animate, the surprising truth about what motivates people, it's this example of a visual representation as people are sketching the words. But I think, and I, maybe I want to dig into this, which is it feels like, I don't even want to put words in your mouth. You're not drawing to say this is the truth. You're drawing to clarify and get people to comment more. In other words, the drawing isn't the end state. The drawing is to get people to refine the state. I don't know. Am I, am I close? Am I missing? I don't know. You're closer than I can sometimes articulate. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, that's correct. That's correct. It's a vehicle to get us there. It's, it should be negated, it should be questioned, it should be challenged. So we're not hired or put into the room to kind of ta-da and everyone go off and do your thing and feel motivated and inspired. Everyone's brains work differently. Everyone sees that elephant differently. So therefore by being once or twice or three times, however many times we need to be in that room to get some collective understanding and agreement on this is how we're driving and this is how we agree that this is going to look for the next amount of months and years. That's what we want to get to. So we, if we're not challenged, my job is not done well enough. And I want people to question it and, and move us around and move the blocks and actually come up and add their thoughts. And again, magic happens where people start to interact with it. That's where the energy comes. We don't want anything passive. We don't want to just show off and, and off you go and do it. We want that sort of interaction so that it can empower them. Wow, I came up with the stuff. Wow, my voice mattered today. Wow, my thinking got intertwined with their thinking. Something happens there, I think, rather than just kind of, this is it, four pillars, off you go. I'm, I'm always struck when, when talking to you, Natalia, about um, how different our worlds are and yet, how similar the overlaps are in what we're trying to do. So I come from the, the military operations world. And when I first joined the military, and even before I joined, when I you know, aspired to join the Royal Marines, in my mind, decision-making and leading people in uncertainty, you know, strategy, tactics, all of these things, it was all about hard, hard science, hard analytical facts. Um, and, and I went through a process of rejecting soft, soft science and, and the arts in the A-levels that I chose. So I chose physics, maths, technology, and electronics, because I had this view that I was going to go into the military um, as a leader, and the, the two things I needed to be able to do was understand what was going on and then be really decisive about how to, um, how to solve that problem and lead people. And I went through this sort of journey where I, I learned that actually that thinking around everything being black and white, being able to solve problems with just pure analytics um, was, was completely wrong. And actually the biggest challenge about leading people in, in combat 
is a is a human dynamic. It's a social one. It's a creative and, and complex problem. Um, and we've talked about that on the podcast quite a lot. But I'm always struck when talking to you about how we're trying to solve the same problem, but our experiences come at it from a really different perspective. But we did a an episode a few weeks ago where we talked about wargaming and red teaming. Um, and I, I was explaining to Chris how, how we use war games to get people together to visualize the problem and, exp- and, and explore it and how it empowers them to talk about their perspectives, their understanding of the plan and, and how it creates the, the dynamic and the space to, to challenge the assumption, to uncover the misunderstandings and all of these good things, which is, I think, exactly what you just explained in terms of um, what you're doing by visualizing you through your art, complex problems. I'm, I'm really interested in, in exploring that because it's something I feel that I'm, I know is important, but I don't feel that I'm quite capable of, of delivering. Um, how, did you, how did you find that as a creative, as an artist, you were able to solve or help people solve strategic challenges. How did that journey happen for you? Well, we would have to go to the kind of the beginnings. And I always ask, do you want the espresso version or the wine version? (laughs) I think we could do the Um, wine version. This is a podcast where we like the wine version. So definitely do that. Yeah. If I focus on the scale itself, you're looking at a young person growing up in Poland very much into art since the beginning of since I remember I loved drawing it was my escapism it was my safe place it was also something that kept me very motivated and happy in a quite chaotic growing up in a quite chaotic household so that's that was growing on its own 10,000 hours and you become a master they say so I was growing that without knowing it's a skill that I might use one day then as a student I started studying languages English to Polish, Polish to English. Always loved it, came to me easily. I studied interpretation. So doing it in real time, suddenly that skill has, I think, developed more and more where I have to respond to something in real time and make a sense of it. Oof, good luck. And then I guess what happened there in terms of me doing it professionally is at the right time, in the right place, I call it a track of luck or whatever you want to say I met my mentor then who until today I claim to be kind of godfather of Natalka design and he mentored me for six months to understand to I guess collect and connect all of these skills and make sense out of it in terms of how could that work actually in business how could that because I was very much familiar with RSA as you just mentioned following the kind of visual arts I knew that this sort of visual communication already exists very deeply within the companies, maybe not on the level that is today, but very much explored by a lot of companies behind the scenes, very much so internally, on the huge boards creating these visual future uh, state statements. And long story short, I just got thrown into it by one of his, uh, let's say, colleagues into project after project, not knowing what am I doing yet, I have to say, sorry for those clients then. But it was just throw me into the mix. Let's not even, let's test it out. Let's let's just go for it. And it, it literally started from one of my first gigs was with Network Rail, 
workshop off-site, one of many that companies have to figure out some issue and challenges in future. Natalia is going to visualize what we're talking about and bring out all the key points. And Natalia standing there with her pen, sweating, with a big board. And I'm like, well, let's, let's see. That's what I was thinking. So I think the kind of almost very much hands-on approach to mix art with language, fast interpretation of, of uh, language and uh, communication, being quite a good observant person, I guess, since I was young, I was always into psychology and how human works and I wanted to study it and I was fascinated by behavior and what makes us tick, all of those things personally and being thrown into it. Here we are 11 years later. Oops. Wow, I, I think that... translating technical requirements, coders and mathematicians, statisticians with business language and, and, uh, and the strategic vision and the requirements of the organization. And that needs to sort of uh, be the, the translator between the technical uh, and the strategic. But I think there's, a, there's that third wheel to that, which is the, the human dynamic, the, the soft sciences, the social, um, which I think the the visualization of the problem and the way that you do that through um not only through your artistic talent and, and you know your employees within your company but you you also encourage people your clients to develop their artistic talent i think that's really really important we've talked before about the need for diversity and creating teams of people who have different experiences. And I think your you know, elephant example really highlighted that really well. Part of what you do is run workshops in helping people be more creative uh, and develop those skills. I don't, I don't think you're doing that to turn them into artists. You're doing that to help them be better creative thinkers. How much do you think that does help? How important do you think that is? And can you give us some tangible examples of where you've seen that develop people's ability to be more creative in their thinking? It's very important, but I always think uh, approach it with a game, um, approach it with play, approach it with you're invited, you're not forced. Let's figure it out. Let's see what's in there. Because so many people get a bit, you know, the body language literally closes. Like what drawing? I'm doing this important business stuff here what drawing it doesn't fit anywhere right it's it's for hobby if i have one so we approach it with two things one is to purely connect people entertain get them talking break the silos get everyone to get to know each other better through our doodle events called doodly do that we started nine years ago or whatnot for vip events for corporates for teams the core of it is just to have fun interactive playful games draw however you like, it doesn't matter, stickman is fine, just express an idea, forget about everything else. Out of the door if you're a CEO or you're just an intern, I don't care, we're all equal, let's have fun. So there's that side of thing that we develop a lot in terms of the team building side of things and 
especially now after COVID, I mean, the amount of asks to just like, we need to connect again, Natalia, guys, can you come in and do it literally weekly for us? So that's that one of the of the things that we do with workshops. And then there's a more strategic side of things. So when we do strategy, it's always three step process. It just helps people to think I like threes. I think we're all quite wired to think one, two, three, and it's easier to make decisions. We do the discovery, we create the visuals, whatever the, the assets are. And then the fun bit, the most meaningful, I think, part uh, after is the implement part. And the implement part is apart from a bunch of looking at revisions, bettering those assets, building them up, doing more for the company of the creative. There's a lot of workshopping and training that goes into it because our job is to, I actually was speaking about it today with a client, is to get them to think more critically and more creatively and make their own decisions on what else they need from us. And instead of just being like throwing stuff at them and bunch of things that like off you go again and use it we want them to have those conversations with us literally with us in the room in on zoom again and ask questions and answer for themselves what do i need next what do i need for that client what do i need for that campaign what could help me and then we ask them as well to you know how do you feel about like should we sketch this out oh no 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 way well how about this and this and this so Suddenly, after a while, as we work with them long term, they come to us <laughs> with a sketch from like never speaking to us or something, just getting things sent because they're scared and briefing us to sending a quick sketch and saying very confidently, I'm having this meeting. It has to have these outcomes. That's the person that I want to engage with. Can we have something like this? That is already a huge step forward from in the past, not even being able to like join a conversation like that. You, you, so, you've, you've thrown in lots of really interesting things we go there. I want to go back to one of them, which is around this idea of having fun. Because I think as you talked about it, it, it was sort of, there were many things and you threw fun in there, but I suspect that's almost, I'd written down a question for myself earlier, which is there'll be people listening that says, well, this sounds like a bunch of hippie nonsense. This sounds like, you know, we need a process. If you give us a process with boxes, we're all good. And what we're saying is, well, hang on a minute. There is a different way. And one of the ways of disarming people is by having fun. Um, in the product world, and Natalia, this is probably something you've seen, is there's a, a, a gentleman by the name of Luke Homan, and he's written a book called Innovation Games. And it's a series of activities that are designed to help people reveal their needs, let's say. And as you were talking, one of those exercises is something that they call product box. And what it is, is you sit a bunch of people in a room and I've, I've done this myself and it's a, it's a joy to watch as much as a joy to participate. And you say, people in the room, I want you to think about a product that does X at a very, very high level. In fact, I used to work for Adobe. It was what does using Illustrator on the move mean to you? And what you do, this is, this is the bit about having fun, is there's a box, a cardboard box, like a cereal box. There's scissors, there's pens, there's glue, there's glitter. And when you walk people into the room, there's people who are typically more creative who smile and say, this looks fun. And there's a bunch of stony faced people that say, well, this feels like nonsense. I need to get back to work. 
when it's done right, by the end, everyone's got glitter on them. And the thing that I've certainly seen is that that sense of fun removes inhibitions and preconceptions and it unlocks something inside. So I love this idea of fun. I don't know whether you want to build on that because as I say, lots of people would say, that doesn't sound professional. We're here to do business. T talk more about fun and the importance of fun in the creative process. Fun is fun. Why wouldn't you want more of fun? I sometimes think we look at business and life like two separate things. At home, fun with my friends, with my family, weekends, barbecue, travel, whatever it is that we're trying to do to have more fun lives. And then we go to work and we feel like professionalism, process, silos, levels, emails, all that stuff. We just want to have fun. If we're spending so many hours of our life, I don't remember the, the number exactly. I should always pop it to kind of make an impact. Too many, How many hours many. of our life? Yeah. We spend on work and, and hopefully we do work that we feel good about, that we can help other people, that it fulfills some part of our soul. That's the hope that I have for everyone. Um, why wouldn't we want to add some fun? Kids play. Kids play at school, kids play, and they learn through play. Suddenly, when we're adults, no play. <laughs> Unless you're, I don't know, you're a Adele or something. Hopefully she gets to play when she sings and everything. So for some reason, play has been seen as, as you said, kind of woo-woo or like childish, let's call it unnecessary. I don't know what, what is the, where, why there's a stigma there. Um, but the best learning that I've observed on me, on others, is through play. And that doesn't mean we don't have process. That doesn't mean we don't have outcomes. We are not focusing on the goal. What is the goal? That's my number one question to any room I enter. So even if we do, what is the goal? Oh, well, the goal can be, I just want these humans to start talking to each other more. And that is a massive goal. Because if we do this work, you'll get the other stuff done so much more powerfully. There's a really interesting link between the need for things to be fun, engaging um, and playful and uncertainty. So there, there's a phrase in the military that we use, which is train for what you know, learn for what you don't. And the idea we've talked about this when we talked about the, the difference between you know, the TTPs and, and the, the doctrine versus the mission command and the making decisions based on the conditions as you find them and how you get that balance right. And I think there's you know, the stuff that doesn't change, the stuff that is always going to be the same, you need process. You need efficiency and you need process. The stuff that is difficult, complex, requires us to learn, we have to approach it with that perspective of, I need to absorb as much information, I need to absorb different ideas, and we need to find and feel our way through the problem. And I think you've just highlighted really well, Natalia, the children play because it's a really, really fast way of cognitively understanding a complex environment and learning to adapt to it. Well, I'd go one step further. I wonder, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm maybe hanging too much on this word play because actually to your point, Natalia, People like playing and, you know, that that in itself is enough. But there's still the people who say, 
well, we could do this without playing. I wonder whether there's another word that you could substitute for play if you wanted to be, for want of a better word, ruthless. And that is, it's not play, it's experimentation. So when you said, okay, we, uh, you know, uh, let children play, actually what that really means is children put a stick into a, a spinning thing to find out what happens when you put a stick into a spinning thing. And we call that play. So I think this is actually ruthlessly efficient in terms of this activity that we call play is actually us quickly experimenting and trying different things, throwing away ideas that don't work and continuing to develop ideas that do work as well. So I, I, I love the idea of play. And I also don't wanna dismiss the idea that, you know what, we spend enough hours on this earth working, let's go and have some fun while we do it as well. I think we're about to touch on a really important aspect of the, the link between creativity and strategy, and that is how it helps us innovate. But now is probably a good time to take a quick break Okay, thank you very much, and we'll see you after break. Welcome back. So before the break, we were discussing uh, how Natalia's company help use visual arts to tell stories to communicate better um, and also and perhaps more importantly to get people to think more critically and more creatively um, and I think we were just sort of moving towards this idea of how that helps us innovate and my interpretation or understanding of innovation has, has always been this idea of linking different ideas together to create new ways of doing things, but perhaps more importantly than that, then implementing it into the organization. So the linking of ideas is probably what you would call the invention. The implementation would then be what I would see as the innovation, because it's now creating better outcomes. But all of that has to start with, with creativity. So Natalia, can you talk a little bit about how you help companies innovate uh, and the role of your artistic process in, in doing that? I guess the best way I can put it is we are called to problem solve. How could we do whatever we want to do better with more impact? So just to give you an example, working with a big offshore company recently, and the goal is to get more buy-in from the government to change policies is on that level. So, okay, that's our goal. Then we look at what we've done before, what has worked, what hasn't. Then we look what we have now in place that's working brilliantly, the team's on it, everyone's aligned, but it hasn't worked or we haven't managed yet or whatnot. So with our, I would say, specialized skills, whatever you want to call it, that visual language, that top layer on top of what you already are doing amazingly, how can we get them literally on that level of to reply to that email, to reply to that call, 
to have a look at this thing that you're proposing in between the three email boxes and five phones they probably all have to make a difference, to make some change. So they're all coming to us to make a change and change to us is already, well, if I want change, that means I need to do something differently. That means I need to innovate. So there's so many tools to do that in the world. We're one of them with what we do, but how we see this working is literally on the, on the ground level of, he did reply. Oh my God, we have a meeting. They said yes to that campaign. Wow, what? They want to have a meeting with us and so on and so forth. So there's something happening again, I think on the really basic primal almost level where staring at things, staring at the same elephant versus talking about it gives more outcome, gives more action. So as I always say, forget that about that is pretty and all that. We, we know so much in the industry. There's so many times we've heard from clients, well, we got this big visual, but like what to do now? We posted on LinkedIn, but what now? So it's not about the pretty pictures, how pretty it is, how visual that can be done if you hire experts. Can't be done if you hire someone yeah. and then you're like, oh, that looks shit, if I can say that. So that's, that's a given. So forget that, that's a tool. Now, what do you do with that tool? So that's where we go into that thinking, that strategic thinking of what makes people tick, what makes people look at things, yeah. notice them, engage with, what makes people consider, what sort of things do need to happen on that thread to get that MP to at least even reply. So I am fascinated by that human psychological process rather than even the visual itself, if I may, not to diminish our work, but that process is fascinating because what we really want to do is get that buy-in to I, whatever is the challenge that you have. I really, really love this idea of what do we need to do differently? I, in my world of business, particularly with, with some of the, sort of the, the, the younger folks that I have on my team, there's this sense of if I tell a person a good thing, they will agree with me and they will adopt that good thing and we can move on. And the reality is all too often in life, it's just not as simple as that. There's, I don't care what you're saying. That's not the most important thing in my life. A thousand other reasons why just because I told you a good thing, you're not going to react to it. And what, what I heard you say was, what is it we need to do differently? What lens can we look through? How can we think about motivations? And I, I think that's such, a, it, it seems like such a simple thing to say, but I think we fall back into the no, but when I tell them this is what they want to hear, they will, they will cheer and clap and tell me how great I am when it's not as simple as that. I do want to cheat and I want to go back and I, I almost want to sort of disrail, derail us slightly. You threw in a word, uh, just as you were talking a little bit ago, you used the word innovation. You, you said, we'll need to innovate and we help people innovate. And Gareth, you talked about that. I have a love-hate relationship with the term innovation. Just before anyone panics, I believe passionately in, <laughs> Natalia, to use your term, my elephant of innovation, but I've heard it used terribly. So for example, in development, I've heard innovation. There was a company I was in where the most senior people demanded that we all innovate. And there was a group of people working on new things who felt, look at us, we're the cool kids, 
innovating. And there were the people who worked on the products that already existed who thought, what am I doing here? I'm not innovating. I'm just keeping that thing alive. And, and that made me very sad because we had lots of people who were innovating in many different ways, but they were almost, this term innovation made people feel bad rather than making everyone feel good. You, you come from a very different angle, Natalia. When you use the word innovation, what does that conjure for you? What is innovation? Maybe what isn't innovation? I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. It's the same relationship I have with the word creativity. Because what we don't like since we started the business is, oh, you're so creative, you're this, you're that. And people put you on such a pedestal. They think that every day I run around and I draw paintings of Big Ben. And in reality, I sit in front of computers and talk to people and reply to messages and send in voices and whatever else that we are all doing in certain part of, of course, the world of business, unless you run a bakery or lucky one. Um, the same thing. I think innovation is just about trialing things and testing. And just like as when we were kids, like we're playing with Lego. If this piece doesn't work and I want to build this damn house, which piece will work? Oh, this piece is taking me to actually this weird roof that I'm going to build now. So it's all about trialing and testing things. And I, I'm a true believer that most of things in the world have been done in terms of creativity. We're just mixing everything up. It's just like with fashion. Fashion is constantly coming back, but with a slight twist, but with a slight difference in color, with a slight difference in material. Maybe we're going to use sustainable material or this or that, or we're going to connect these two colors that we haven't seen in a while, whatever that is. It's mixing this knowledge base that we've acquired for so many years and trying a different connection and then and a mix of things and see what comes. Because to be fair with you, I don't come into clients and say, I know what you need to do to have that MP's reply. Oh, pay me. That's not what it is. I come and I'm just asking a lot of questions. And my job is for them to figure it out maybe three or five ways we could approach that person. And if option one didn't work, what is option two? How can we move and steer it in a different way? Option three, hmm, that, that surprised me. I didn't think that's gonna work. That's, that was the dumbest idea I thought in the room and it worked. It, it goes back to play, I guess, and trialing things. That's where something happens, call it whatever you want. I think our innovation elephants are the same, by the way. So I think that's really <laughs> good. But I, so, I, I think that in itself is also important because what I almost sort of laid a big trap for you there where I said, what's not innovation? And, and I, I was really pleased you didn't go anywhere near that because the point is trying something is innovation. Trying something that we, where we've never been before is glamorous and exciting. And that's what people think. But trying something for what we did yesterday. You made a phone call yesterday. How would we make a better phone call yesterday? That's innovation as well. I love that as a continuous improvement kind of a zen yeah I, i'm absolutely struck by your well I, I started this podcast by introducing you and saying that i i was sort of blown away by your artistic talent and that's why i had to meet you and, and that's how that conversation started but what's wonderful is that the passion that comes through from you is not the passion for drawing the passion for the art you are incredibly talented but your passion is how you use that to create new ideas, to create new thoughts, to create new interactions. And that, and, and the humility to say, you know, 
you can pay for art, you know, you can get graphic designers and, you know, I don't have the answers. What we do is, is we create and facilitate um, the opportunities for the discussions where those glimmers of new ideas will, will hopefully come through. Um, and I, again, bring it back to the military, that's kind of what we do in this podcast. There's, there's this idea that a lot of what we do is, you know, structured, it's disciplined, there are processes, but ultimately the way that you link those very procedural things through to achieving difficult goals, and we've done a whole podcast on, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals, um, is through creating new space, new ideas, doing the unexpected, taking the initiative, creating opportunity the British Staff College, the, the symbol for the Staff College is, is a kingfisher. And that comes from um, this uh, Lawrence, T.H. Lawrence sort of quote about the, the art of uh, the leader is to see the flash of the kingfisher. And I think what really comes across from, from you, Natalia, is you know, you're not coming in and saying, I know what the kingfisher looks like. You're creating the opportunity for somebody else to draw that kingfisher to, for somebody else to to see those opportunities to see those ideas um and that circles back to your point chris about you know creativity isn't change for the sake of change change that has a better outcome is the innovation not the change for the sake of it i also wonder whether there's this is going to sound really weird there's an element of courage about this and I wonder, Natalia, whether you help people be brave. I know that's going to sound ridiculous the way I've said it, but we've talked about play. We've talked about experimentation. The reason why as adults we stop playing is we are to some degree afraid of that experimentation. What will people think? What will people say? I have to be serious. I have to carry on. And so I wonder whether part of this element of creativity is the ability to say, I'm going to do something which I might fall flat on my face on. It might be a terrible idea. Even more so, it might reveal the idea that we believe to be true today to be a terrible idea. So I wonder, I mean, I don't know what you think about that, Natalia, that there is this sense of courage to trust that you can do something different and it will be okay. And in fact, and I've seen this before that when you do it once or twice, people say, just as you said, people come back with a sketch. The first time you say to them, let's sketch this, they say, that sounds a bit odd, but you do it a few times and people say, I now trust that nothing bad is gonna happen, I sketch. What do you, is that a crazy statement that part of what you're doing is helping give people courage to try these things? I guess so when I think about number one thing that we deal with in terms of challenges that clients are approaching us with, they, they don't want risk, especially on the level of the companies that we speak to, the government and uh, the big corporates, the big tech. Risk is number one factor that someone wouldn't go for it, let's call it, or explore or innovate or whatever you want to call it or try. There's so many factors that sit on top of that big construction like brand lo loyalty, brand awareness, everything around it needs to speak and sound the same way. So we come and we try to 
find the way to the risk whatever they want to do because first of all there's a success rate behind what we do so that helps them and we trial things which helps them to see that oh this one thing worked maybe then other thing will work maybe i'll try the third thing and the fourth thing so i think it's a bit of a stepping into it with uh, unknown and then trying things and seeing that they start working out and where can I apply this tactically in my business? And we also come with a lot of guarantees and that's the success rate that we've seen in the past and the case studies and the numbers and the data just shows that this is one of the very powerful ways to get people to open their doors for whatever it is that you want to achieve as a business because everyone has a different motivation. But, it, but there is, there is that, like we just really want to talk straight away about what's the risk, what are we afraid of? Let's break those silos and let's try try to do things differently. And I was surprised that we started with, I thought it will uh, cater to maybe more individuals, small businesses and things like that. Totally, totally happy with that if that was the route that we took. But straight away, we had calls from the biggest names in the industry, which to be fair with you, 10 years ago, I was terrified to get calls like that because I was like, how will I handle this? And I quickly realized it's the same as a small business. It's just more people involved. There's Yes, there's higher stakes, but everything works on the other hand, much more process-based. So you learn that it's it's quite, there's a lot of people to hold you there. It's It's nothing scary. It's just bigger. So it really surprised me that um, behind the scenes, the big, big names and the governments actually want to do it. So call it, if they can risk, I feel like we all can risk more in what we're doing. And, there, and that's always the case. Once you try, you feel more and more and more confident to try again. Keeping in mind that we are still talking about the brand and the goals and the process and the strategy, everything's there. It's just testing some things out and seeing what's going to move that needle a bit more. Yeah, whilst you were talking there, I was I was actually thinking about some of the problems that we in the military have faced over the years. Uh, and it's really interesting your uh, as you sort of segue to the the idea that big brands were, were coming to you and that surprised you, because I was thinking about some of the challenges that the military has faced over the last few decades, um, where we've effectively been operating in environments where the old rules the old ways of working aren't that relevant um they're not that useful so you know the conventional way of fighting in a counterinsurgency environment where it's all about human dynamics are really really difficult and they don't work that well um and i was just sort of reflecting on this idea of whether we were playful enough whether we were creative enough in our operating headquarters because and it, it's a it's a difficult challenge probably in a similar way that as Chris was talking about with boardrooms being quite stuffy and this kind of idea of playful creativity well doesn't really have a place in business because we're very professional you know I think you'd have a similar cultural challenge with trying to convince a, a divisional or, or a core command to start being creative and playful when the outcome is still, you know, the delivery of violence and, and ultimately at its worst lethal force. But actually when we're dealing with the complex problems, I think actually the, the value that could have been added or should have been added perhaps by being more playful, 
by being more creative with the way that we think about new ideas would have potentially opened up new avenues, new approaches, rather than us having to learn the hard way just through plain old sort of evolution of these things aren't working, so we're going to stop doing it. And I think it's it's flipping that kind of narrative of playful means risk. Yes. Yeah. Playful and, uh, can mean actually great new outcomes, engagement, yeah. empowerment, wow effect, right? I so, love the phrase wow effect. And and yeah, I think you're entirely right. And and ultimately, you know, that is military decision making is ultimately the balancing of capability and resources against risk. That's what we do. We are in the business of risk. But I'm I'm struck and have been struck throughout my career about the ability for the military to think of itself as a high-risk organization, a high-risk industry, if you like. Um, but we take high risk with think with physical risk. We'll put people in harm's way, we'll jump out of helicopters, we'll, you know, do things that are physically quite high risk. But when it comes to changing the way we behave, we're actually quite risk averse. Um, and I suspect that has something to do with the, um, the consequences of our decisions and the fact that people don't want to be held accountable for a decision to change behavior that's led to a bad, a bad outcome. And yet we're quite happy for bad outcomes as a result of the same old activity. That's just like a human nature thing, right? Like lesson yeah. number one, we don't like change. It's very hard to make people take decisions. Yeah. So with that as a brief for literally almost every job and every interaction that we have and engagement, that's already you're on a, you need to like focus here, right? Like, of course, they, we need to almost assume there's not going to be any response or something. Okay, scrap that. Yeah. Because people really, really, it's hard for them to make decisions. So what the visual language, again, it's almost the, the, the act of it is simplifying things. Yeah. When yeah. something's more simple, we react, we engage, we because we feel like we understand, so we don't feel stupid or we don't feel confused. No one wants to feel bad feelings. That's that's the, just like in personal life, just like in work. It's the same thing. So how can we help people to feel understood, understanding, and help them engage. What are the things we can do differently this time? Is it the 20 page PowerPoint that we've done for 10 years? Is it the humongous report that we send out somewhere on a web link and suddenly there's no clicks? Is yeah. it the one of many events that someone comes in, talks through the strategy and leaves? Is it that or is there more? Yeah, I love that. And and I think, you know, I could I could talk to you all day about this stuff because I, I think it's so interesting and so important in the in the contemporary business age where you know, we are all dealing with complexity and we're all dealing with dynamic change. And as you said earlier, you know, where you've got change, you have to change your behavior. Where you have to change your behavior, you have to innovate. And and of course. You, that's not innovation for the sake of it that's not you know we're going to bring some lime green bean bags into the office because we're innovators it's it's changing the way that we do things to create better outcomes so as a, as a final thought then natalia apart from going to natalka design uh, and, and employing you to run some wonderful workshops 
what's the the best thing that a business leader can do today to get their organization or people within their organization to to start to be more playful to start to be more creative in the way that they think ask the team and people around them what they want to do so for example you've got your next workshop coming up don't just send the agenda and from 9 to 11 we do this from 12 to this we do this uh, i'm already tired <laughs> can we make this all more collaborative and how do you do that by asking questions and you could be actually surprised the stuff that people come up with but people don't come up with stuff because they feel like they can't because they feel like they'll be judged no one cares it's all kind of coming from the leadership level if that's what we're doing that's what we're doing if you want me to sit here till 6 p.m okay sure how exciting yeah. So we, we've talked about the, the need of, for empowerment before, but I think we've always looked at that as empowerment for getting people to take more responsible or be more responsible for the day-to-day the -day activities that the organisation does. But I think what you're saying there is about empowering people to think about the way that the change take place and empowering people across the organisation to be part of the conversation around strategic shift and change. And I think that don't be really don't helps. be scared to get people involved i guess that's the message and i'm not saying do it in a way that causes more risk again because of course businesses don't like that and that's how they grow by having things predicted and processes in place that's all true it's just about getting people involved which could be as simple as sending three question survey as jumping on a call with everyone and asking guys for the next regional meeting, what do we think should be done? Haven't been done. What sucked last time? What could we do? What could we do better? So, it, and you don't have to do it, but at least open yourself up more to what is out there so that when they come to that workshop, they're like ready. They're excited because yeah. they've been part of that conversation. That's brilliant. I think like like all of these subjects, we uh, we barely scratched the surface. We we certainly haven't solved the problems, but I think we've we've generated some really interesting discussion. And I think we've got a little bit closer to understanding the the character of these complex problems that the contemporary organizations face. So that just leaves me to say a huge thank you to you, Natalia, for giving up your time to come and come and talk to us today. Uh, and we will almost certainly have you back in the future to delve into this in more detail. Thank you so much, Gareth. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And as you said, this could be discussed for hours. So hopefully this was a wine version enough to reflect on and uh, get curious. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It, it's really been fascinating to hear those insights. And hopefully we've got people who are a little less worried about what it means to bring creativity into their workflows. So as always, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please do engage with us. We are available on email at battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter at, at battlingwithbiz, biz with a Z. If you've liked what you've heard, then uh, please feel free to go back through our back catalogue and continuing listening to other episodes. Tell your friends, share on social media, but most importantly, make sure you're signed up to receive regular recordings of Battling With Business wherever you get your podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. And that's it from me.
goodbye. Yeah, and goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.